0: Hi. I want to start today's episode off by saying that I love food. I just love it. Food brings me so much joy and so much pleasure, and I am just a person that really enjoys eating. I do. And this weekend, while I was eating delicious tin fish that I brought back from Lisbon, I got to open a box of early galleys of my new novel, The Sicilian Inheritance. I got them. I cried. Cried ugly, ugly-ass tears when they came in. And so did my friend Casey, who was with me when I opened the box. And then all of us, Casey and Steven and my husband, Nick, we opened the book and we read some of our favorite passages. And all of those passages were about food. It's a book filled with food. It's a book filled with food and wine and sex and adventure and a little bit of a murder mystery, but mostly food. Yeah. Yeah. And so right now, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling you all this because I had so much joy seeing this book for the first time. It was incredibly overwhelming. And also, yeah, this is a shameless plug to pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance, my new novel, right now, for a lot of reasons. One, it's so helpful to me. Pre-ordering is really helpful for all authors. But also, because I just started to plan a live Under the Influence tour to coincide with the book coming out in April. So we will likely be doing a lot of events where we have a lot of book pre-orders. So get your book clubs very excited. I will bring the cannolis and the wine and maybe even some sexy Sicilian men. Who knows? Anything could happen. But back to how much I love food. That's I'm going I'm going back there. As an Italian American, this might be a genetic thing. But I truly believe that delicious food is something that connects us and brings us together. And it is something that should be celebrated and enjoyed. And yet, I see food very often demonized on social media. There are a lot of great food accounts, and we are going to be getting into those. I can't wait to talk about some of my favorite food accounts that I follow. There's one that just creates cheese plates all the time. That is The Beast Knees. But a lot of accounts on Instagram talk about food as something that needs to be restricted or managed. One of the best writers that I know who talks about food and pleasure and diet culture and how we talk about bodies is Virginia Soulsmith. She is the author of the book Fat Talk and the substack Burnt Toast. She also has a podcast by the same name, Burnt Toast. And Virginia recently posted something that I've been thinking about a lot. She's been posting about kid food influencers and how they promote diet culture way too early for anyone to be thinking about diet culture. You know, you know these people that I'm talking about. They're the ones who make the rainbow bento boxes for kid lunches, the turkey kale swirls, easy toddler meals in five minutes. I follow dozens of these people. Mostly because making lunch is one of the things that I actually hate doing more than I hate doing anything as a parent. And I don't feel bad about admitting that because if I could never make another kid lunch again, I'd be really freaking happy. I would love my kid to just eat the lunch in the cafeteria, but he won't eat the lunch in the cafeteria. So I'm I'm constantly making the lunch and I'm following these kid influencers. Now, some of these accounts have given me awesome ideas to make the lunches easier. Jenny Mollin's dictator lunches is a chef's kiss of greatness, and it's also hilarious because everything that Jenny does is just gold. But a lot of the kid food influencer accounts can make you feel like shit. They make you feel incredibly guilty if your kid's lunch is some fruit snacks, leftover dinosaur nuggets, and half a chocolate chip cookie because I ate the other half before I went to bed last night. And I hate shit on Instagram that makes me feel guilty. Virginia has also pointed out that a lot of these accounts focus way too heavily on creating a dieting culture for kids way too early instead of doing what kid lunch needs to do, which is just give them good energy to learn. We should just be focusing on how does my kid get enough fuel to learn to read and learn to do some math, right? Right? So anyway, I had to have Virginia on the podcast to chat about all of this. I also want her to come on all the time. She's wonderful and funny and very, very smart. She also has a cold in this interview, so I will tell you that her voice, when we're talking, sounds particularly sexy.
1: Hi, happy, happy Tuesday in September. It feels like October though. It definitely feels like October, but it is it is Tuesday. It is Tuesday. It is indeed Tuesday. So
0: I I I wanna have you on to talk about a thousand different things, but today what I want to talk about is something that you wrote about in your incredible newsletter that I love so much about food influencers, kid food influencers, and the kinds of messaging that we're putting out there for parents around kids' food on social media. And what it, I, I do think that there is some good information out there, but I mm-hmm. also think that there's a lot of damaging information out there. And now this is this is one of your many areas of expertise, so I just kind of want to pick your brain about what you're what you're seeing on the socials when it comes to kids and food.
1: yeah, there is a lot of good information, there is a lot of damaging information, mostly, I think there's a lot of confusing information, which is of course ultimately damaging because it's this is not an area of parenting where anyone feels great being confused about, and we're all already confused like feeding kids is fucking hard so so hard no matter you know whether you have one of those like happy sushi loving toddlers or you have the kid who only eats three beige foods like it is so much work right it's so it's so so hard i mean feeding feeding charlie
0: is really tough he's a kid that only eats three beige foods yep yep. yeah somehow he manages to grow
1: yeah they do they do i've got some of those too and they definitely do grow and thrive um but the judgment and the stigma around it can feel, oh, yeah. ri- you can just feel like you're constantly failing. And I think what I am seeing on kid food Instagram or kid food influencers in general is this rhetoric of, we know how hard it is. It's not your fault, mama. We got you. We're going to make this easier, combined with advice and images that actually make it much, much, much more complicated. Because they're showing us plates of, you know, the bento boxes with the rainbow produce, like six types of produce in a lunch for a four-year-old. And, you know, they're showing us things cut into cute shapes and arranged and plated in certain ways and a lot of stuff to buy along with it. The Very specific cute plates and cute lunch boxes that you're supposed to have. And all of that, look, if that is your bliss, like there are some people who are like, I love cutting fruit into heart shapes. Great. I am for- not here to judge that or no. shit on no. that for you. I want that for you. But if you are someone who's like it already feels really hard and I tried to make it into heart shapes and they still didn't eat it, what am I doing wrong? Then the kid food influencers are not helping. They're making it feel even harder. I agree, and I don't but I also don't
0: think that that is necessarily the answer. I've gotten some good ideas from the kid food food influencers. For my kid that eats, mm-hmm. so you know, just to make life fun for her. Yeah, she, sure. My my three and a half year old, almost four now, will eat anything, and she loves a rainbow bento box. Like it just it, it that brings her joy mm-hmm. when she opens her lunch. But a rainbow is not going to make my six year old who eats no foods that are not beige eat food. He's right. not going to be he's not going to be tricked by a fucking rainbow. He's going to be stressed out by it. He's going to be stressed out by it, and so it makes me feel. As bad as when I go to a friend's house and they're like, you know, you just have to expose them to it. Mm. Why don't I just why don't I put some greens on on your kid's plate? Because maybe maybe you're not you're not exposing them enough as if I haven't put greens on his plate Mm. for four years. And then they put the greens on his plate and he looks at them and scowls like Mm. she just put poop on his plate. Picks it off and gives her the like, and then he's like, you know, borderline rude. I feel like a bad mother. Mm -hmm. Everyone's vaguely embarrassed in that situation, and I'm like, you know, I try. I tried. I've tried all the things, and some kids just don't want to eat certain foods, right? They just don't. And I do feel like a failure, but I don't need to be reminded that I'm a failure.
1: Well, I think the disconnect is coming from the fact that a lot of the advice around picky eating that we get on social media and that, you know, what your friend is doing, putting the greens on the plate and all of that, a lot of it is marketed with the promise of we will solve this problem. Picky eating is something we need to solve. It's something we need to fix. This is something we can course correct for. And embedded in that is this message of, because if you don't, dot, 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 dot. And the dot, 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 dot is, if you don't fix your child's picky eating, they will never eat vegetables and they will, you know, die of scurvy at age 10. If you don't fix your child's picky eating, they will not grow up to, like, anything but refined sugar and... Process carbohydrate. If you don't fix your child's picky eating, they will get fat. I mean, that's really at the core of it, right? Mm-hmm. Is anti-fat bias. Is this idea that you're doing it wrong and you're going to end up with a kid who's fat and unhealthy and it's all your fault. And so what I don't see enough of in the kid food, kid food influencing space is an unpacking of all of that and a reframing and saying, okay, if we could dispense with the idea that how you how your child eats is A, 100% your responsibility and your project to fix. And B, somehow going to lead to all of these things for their, like, you can have a really eclectic eater who still goes through a picky phase. You can have a really eclectic eater who's still unhealthy or still in a bigger body. Like, none of this is a guarantee or a protection against any of the things we're afraid of. So we really need to work on releasing those fears and recognizing that like, we are putting a lot of focus on trying to control this kids plate because of all the things we can't control
0: yeah yeah no i totally agree and i think that there is a lot of implicit anti fat bias in a lot of the kid food influencer packaging and talk and to be to be honest a lot of the kid food influencers are in very small bodies absolutely as yeah. well and so i think Th- that is also a problem because they're modeling, hey, do you want to look like me? Do you want your kid to look like me? Here's what I do. Um, And my ki- my family is healthy. My family is healthier than probably your family because of what what we're doing.
1: Yeah, as you're saying that, I'm sort of, you know, mentally scrolling my Instagram feed in my head. And I cannot think of a single kid food, food influencer who's fat. Or even in you know a a bigger body of any kind, Um, yeah. I don't think I don't think I mean people are now going to message me and be like, "How could you ignore these wonderful people?" So please tell me. I would love it. I would love to follow them. (laughs) Totally, totally. Tell (laughs) us, tell us. I I follow. I follow follow a lot.
0: I follow a lot of of kid kid food influencers. Like I said, I like a lot of them, and I get a lot of really good ideas. The other day, I was following someone, also just kind of like. I need suggestions for other things to put in my mm-hmm. kids' lunches. Yes. Um and so canned salmon. My kid loves salmon and I never thought i like oh, canned like I could just mm. buy a can of salmon yeah. for a dollar 50 <laughs> and and put that in in the in the bento box. That's for my good eater. For mm. my bad eater, I'm still going to Put a, do you want to hear what I put in, in his lunch today? Yes. I put there it's all beige. It's all, there's no fucking rainbow there. Um he likes potato buns. So it's mm-hmm. a plain, plain hamburger potato bun. Yep, delicious. Uh, Fig Newtons, mm-hmm. um, a granola bar, mm-hmm, and Triscuits.
1: I mean, that sounds like a very yummy lunch that is going to keep him fed and give him the energy he needs to get through his day. Yes. I see nothing wrong with that lunch whatsoever.
0: I don't either. And he's going to eat it. He's going to eat it. When I try, like, why screw with my kid's day? Yeah. When I send him to school with things he doesn't want to eat, he doesn't eat. Yeah. And then he's hungry and angry and he can't learn. And that just feels like torturing a six-year-old.
1: Yeah, and torturing his teachers who have to deal with the grumpy kid who can't focus the rest of the day you know I mean it's like no good it's such a basic premise but like kids learn better when they're not hungry and no good comes of trying to use lunch which is already like a rush time of the day for kids they're navigating who they sit with and getting to the cafeteria and is there time to go to the bathroom and also have recess and all of that like no good comes from making that also like a stressful eating experience like they need their go-to foods so that they can, you know, get fed and get on with their day. It's just not the place to try to force a bunch of new exposures for a lot of kids.
0: All right, we're going to take a quick break here because I've been told we have to take breaks for the ads, but we'll be right back. And we are back with Virginia Soul Smith, author of Fat Talk and the Substack Burnt Toast. We have so much more to say about kid food influencers, diet culture, and what we can and cannot control as parents.
1: I think a lot of this boils down to this disconnect around how the division of responsibility gets communicated online. Do you want to go into that at all? I do.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's, let's do it.
1: Okay, So the division of responsibility is this model for feeding kids developed by a a feeding therapist and nutritionist named Ellen Satter back in the 1980s. And it was really a response to the clean your plate club approach that a lot of us grew up with of like, whatever's on your plate, you have to finish it. Of course, you have to eat your broccoli to earn dessert, you know, all that kind of old school thinking about food and kids. And This model says, no, forcing kids to eat certain foods or to eat in certain ways backfires. And that is very backed by research. We have lots of studies showing that when you tell kids they have to eat one food in order to earn dessert, they eat less of that food, they like it less, they're all fixated on the dessert. Like, of course, right? You just made it forbidden. It's much more interesting now. Yeah, Um, Yeah. And so the division of responsibility model says that parents are in charge of what foods are offered. And where they are offered, meaning like you try to mostly have your meals at a table and not, you know, like whatever, walking around your house um, or in a moving car when possible. Um, And you're also in charge of what time meals happen. So you're in charge of the schedule and like when is it an eating time and when is it not an eating time. But there your responsibility ends and your child is in charge of how much they eat and which of the foods you've offered are the ones they're going to eat. So you might put a rainbow of foods on your table and your kid might only eat one color and you let them do that and you let them have seconds and thirds to whatever extent you have the food available of the thing they want to eat and you don't worry. And the argument is that over time you are gently exposing your kids to these other foods because they're on the table. They see the rest of the family eating them and that most kids over time will start to expand their palates. This is very much a your mileage may vary situation. I have a 10 year old who I would say is just now starting to expand her palate 10 years into doing mostly this method. Um, You know, it's not like this will solve it in six months. But
0: But it's a long game. It's a long game. It's a
1: long game. It's a long game. game. And I Mm -hmm. think it's important to remember that. Like, I was an extremely cautious kid who did not start to eat anything besides beige foods until puberty hit. And suddenly I was hungry. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm now interested in other foods. Mm-hmm. Before then, food was just like, I, okay, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get out. It was not my bliss. Um, and that was just how I grew up. But what happens with the division of responsibility model, when it is filtered through the rainbow bento boxes and the skinny white dietitians with their barrel curls and all of that on uh, social so, media. So many, barrels so many barrel curls. So many barrel curls. What happens is, they, they use that rhetoric of your child's in charge of how much they eat. You're in charge of what foods you offer. But then they put all these rules around what foods you offer. And those rules are very much rooted in diet culture. So that is why you see the bento boxes with the rainbows and with the, like, three little M&Ms or, like, one Hershey kiss or one teeny tiny brownie as the, as the one treat you're offering. And you don't see people using this in a way that really works for real families. You see people using it in a way that really upholds diet culture and upholds this idea as your mission as a parent is to get your kid to eat as many vegetables as possible.
0: Right. Right. When I think that our mission as a parent should be to fuel them for the day, for school, to know what they're going to eat. If we have a mission as a parent at all, I mean, every day, like keep them
1: alive. Keep them alive. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. You're doing great. My mission, yes, is to make sure they're fed. And my mission is to help them. And again, not every day am I achieving this, but big picture. My mission is to help them feel confident as eaters and to feel like they trust their bodies. Mm -hmm. And when we are coming at kids with a lot of pressure, we are undermining their trust in their bodies and we're undermining their ability to feel confident about themselves as eaters. And even if our kids never grow up to eat kale. Like, it is really possible to live an entire life without enjoying kale, I swear. Um, Even if you have a kid who never embraces kale or broccoli or any of that, do you want them to walk around feeling like a failure because they never got there? Or do you want them to feel like, yeah, some foods aren't for me, but I know how to feed myself confidently and competently? Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, to be honest, I'm
0: just thinking about what I grew up on, right? And I grew up on a lot of stofers, frozen lasagnas, mm-hmm. and lean cuisines. Like my mom's my mom was always on a diet. Mm-hmm. I remember that. And I do remember how damaging that was too to think about that like food was not something in my house that was necessarily to be enjoyed either. Like mm-hmm. there was always a restriction around that, yep. which I've tried not to do around my kids at all. But I ate processed foods constantly. Mm-hmm. Because my parents were, my mom was like super lazy and my dad wasn't around that much. Mm. And again, I grew up, I became a human. Functional in in the world. In the world. I didn't, I don't think I knew what kale was till I went away to college. It was not a thing that was in our world. If we had salad, it was a shitty iceberg lettuce salad. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, And again,
0: I think that I am a perfectly acceptable person.
1: And someone who I happen to know loves food and infuses beautiful food writing into all of her novels and, you you know, like really embraces eating as one of life's pleasures, which I think also is a nice goal for our kids. It's not going to be available to every kid for a lot of reasons, but it's a nice like I would prefer us to be emphasizing the pleasure and the connection that comes from food than to be emphasizing some kind of hyper focus on nutrition.
0: Yes. Yes, exactly. Because Food is food is a wonderful gift to us as mm-hmm. a, as humans. And speaking speaking of that, by the way, I have your hard copy of the Sicilian Inheritance.
1: Ooh, can not wait. Which I'm about to put in the mail to you. <laughs> so and excited! It's gotten
0: even better since you read it because I was in Sicily just and all I added when I was in Sicily was just more food. Ab-
1: absolutely, as yes. well you should yeah. have. Yeah, yes. I just
0: sat there eating all the things with a notebook. We're like, oh, well, I got to put these, these pine nuts need to make it. Oh my gosh, I <laughs> so, can't wait, I can't wait. It's going to be in the mail and in your box very, very soon. Cannot wait. So excited. But yes, I mean, so actually that's what I would love to see more of. You know, I think a lot about what kind of influencers I would like to see more of. And I would like to see more talk about how to inspire kids to enjoy just the, like, Pleasures of food, right? Mm. To like to, to to dive in and see food, not as something. There's so many rules in our kids' lives. Yeah, especially it's you know we just we just started first grade over here, and it's very different from yep. kindergarten. Yeah, I've got a first
1: grader this year too. It yeah. is we, very different,
0: and we do not like it. We do not because the because of the because of the rules and and you know he 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 feels. He feels like all of the restrictions that life puts on you, I think, maybe for the first time. Mm-hmm. so what if we can just remind kids that food is supposed to be fun and delicious and delightful and enjoyable and not put all of the weird food shit and rules that have been existing for so long on them because they don't they don't need more and they don't deserve it
1: absolutely. and I would also say, what if we talked about food as a source of pleasure and connection? while making the labor visible, like the amount of work that goes into preparing these meals. And that's another place that I see kid food influencing often leaving out. Um, It's this idea that you're going to jump through these hoops to make these elaborate meals for your kids in order to solve their picky eating or to push them towards being this, you know, kind of eater that you want them to be. And we don't talk about, you know, the disproportionate amount that labor is falling on women or the fact that, Maybe that is just not realistic or doable for you at 6 p.m. on a Tuesday because you've got to pick one kid up from one activity and finish your own work day and get someone else to a piano lesson. And then also, somehow, dinner is going to happen. I mean, like, if there was ever an argument for shortcut meals, shortcut ingredients, processed foods, lean, cu- not lean cuisine, because I mean, no. that's a bridge too far. That's a bridge too far. Sure. Like, you know, oh. anything that's coming out of your freezer that makes dinner easier. I am here for it. Absolutely. And when we don't normalize that and embrace that and talk about how to make that work, we're kind of quietly pushing that reality for many families into this place of shame where they don't see that represented online. And so people feel like they need to apologize for it. And this is another way that like kid food becomes a pipeline to diet culture, because Kids grow up understanding which meals their moms feel like they need to apologize for. And that's what teaches kids to apologize for how they eat and to apologize for eating. And then, you know, fast forward to everybody surrounding the cake at the office birthday party apologizing for eating it. Or the cheese plate at your dinner party and everyone's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm eating the cheese. Like, no. Eat the the goddamn cheese. (laughs) We made the cheese board. Someone eat the cheese. And don't apologize. Or it goes, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to take it to
0: an even more extreme spot because I just I want to bring this up. A kid diet influence, kid kid nutrition yep. influencers. And it, it does start a pipeline very early that l- then leads into the whole diet influencing genre, which yes. we'll talk about more later. And we just saw one vegan food influencer die of starvation. I know. Horrific, horrific. Because yeah. she was eating nothing. I mean, essentially eating nothing. And yeah. and she was talking about you know these extreme dietary practices of only eating raw, very, like, raw food. I was about to say very raw. I'm like, can you be more raw? <laughs> in the world? Um, but yeah, and she was a very famous vegan influencer, and and she passed away because she was. Literally starving herself uh, for, for to perform in this account, and and, yeah. and and also had so and had so many followers that were following her recommendations. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just it's I think that it takes us to it's the start of a very dangerous place. There are again there are amazing kid food influencers out there. I think I'm going to talk to one this week or or next week. The one who recommended the. The tinned salmon. I was like, I'm very into this mm. idea, uh, but there's also there's also a real danger in starting early, thinking about how to push certain ways of eating and certain diets on children. That I think there is a direct line to what we saw from this one vegan influencer, uh, Jana Samsonova, who did die from starvation.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll sh- shamelessly shout out my favorite kid influence, kid food influencer, which is my best friend Amy Palangian, who does yummy toddler food, and I think has put more thought than anyone I know into how to get the diet culture out of her content, how to more aggressively speak out on the issues of diet culture in kid food, and who has just like the most amazing, doable, achievable recipes, <laughs> um, lots of shortcuts. Lots of straightforward ideas and, like, occasionally does something with a cookie cutter and then is, like, you don't need to make it heart-shaped. Like, it's just, like, very straightforward about it and I love it. Wait, um, I think that's who I follow. Is that who you're, fo- who you're talking Shut to? Shut up. I th- it
0: might be. It might that would be really fun.
1: Yeah. Um, Amy's amazing. Um, no, Amy's
0: not the one I'm talking to this week, but Amy is one of the ones that I've been following recently. Yeah. Who I, j- I only just discovered her. She's brilliant and her cookbook
1: uh-huh. is so good, too.
0: Another shameless plug.
1: Um, for uh, my well, wait, no, no, connect connect me with her because I'm yeah, i we do will. a
0: whole ep- a whole episode on, oh, you know what I, oh, I'm on I'm, I'm on her Instagram right now. We're doing this in real time.
1: She's got she's got dino nuggets on that fucking tray. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. She's great. She's super realistic and down to earth. And you know, and I think has evolved. Like, you know, probably if you scroll way, way, way back, you'd see some stuff that's more trying to be perfect and whatever. And she as she had more kids, as her life got more complicated, was like, no, this is not, we don't need to be pushing, we don't need to be putting this pressure on ourselves. Like, let's not do that. And it's great. We sure, we sure do not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, what's useful for all of us to think about as we're consuming this content is to sort of look for that dissonance between what someone is saying and what their images are showing you. And if you're listening to them and it sounds sort of liberating and encouraging, but then you're looking at the picture thinking like, "Well, my kid wouldn't eat half of that," or "I don't have time to make that," or now I'm feeling bad about myself like that is a like listen to that more than you listen to what they're saying because I am really concerned about the co-opting of rhetoric that I see and the way I see the diet culture being repackaged here, and so that it's often. You know much harder to spot, and i'm I mean, I'm happy to name a couple of accounts if you want me to of the ones yeah. that i yeah, find I
0: would, well, and I, that's what I want to talk to you about that you and this is what the argument that you made so well that you are seeing a repackaging of diet culture just for children,
1: yeah, absolutely, yes. yeah, and again, I see it often combined with anti diet rhetoric and with division of responsibility rhetoric, which is what makes it so. Fucking hard to figure out for parents. Like, why is this still making me feel bad when it sounded like it was going to be liberating? One account that I think is well intentioned and often winds up in this place of promoting more diet culture than perhaps she intends to, or, you know, it's just this mixed messaging would be kids eat in color. That's a big one that people um, love. A lot of times people will say, like, I follow you and kids eating color. And I'm like, okay, but are you reading both of our content? Um, because we're sometimes saying different things. And I think, you know, she is a dietician. She has a lot of nutrition knowledge. And she seems very committed to the idea of giving kids a lot of nutrition knowledge. And she'll talk about how to do it in age-appropriate ways. But often that means she's so kind of boiled down what claims she, you know, what she thinks a three-year-old can understand about carrots ends up being this kind of loosey-goosey, not very evidence-based way of, you know, like they don't give you night vision, you know, they don't give you superpowers. Um, And so talking to kids about food in this way is actually more confusing and misleading because you're giving them lots of information they're going to internalize as facts that aren't actually accurate. And if they don't want to eat the carrot or the purple cauliflower or whatever it is, you've just kind of made it more complicated for them to not want to eat it because you've been telling them how good it is. And how good for them it is, and that that makes them think that, you know, there are good eaters and bad eaters, and now they're in the bad eater category, and that's a tricky place to go. And I've seen her, you know, I think she has given a lot of thought to some of the anti-diet concepts and anti-fat bias, but when I see her talking about it, there's always this kind of invisible footnote of, you know, not acknowledging her own thin privilege um, or acknowledging it in ways that sound real proud of it instead of saying this is a problem. Like, there's just a lot in there that as you start to parse it, you realize, wait a second, this is, this is giving me another set of rules to follow. This is giving me another standard to shoot for. It, it isn't making my life easier. It's actually complicating things for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes. And it's all, it is all hard. No, yeah. it is all
0: hard and it's all complicated. I was saying this to a listener uh, the other day because I was on the uh, podcast "Infamous" with Vanessa mm-hmm. uh talking about celebrities and Ozempic, and I got I've got all the thoughts about about the Ozempic, and some of them <laughs> some of them make sense to me, and some of them don't, and some of them are are you know they, they contradict each other, uh, and. We were talking about certain celebrities, and I said, "I'm like, yeah, you know, this person looks 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 great now, but like, I didn't. But then I had to like back up. Doing live podcast interviews is so hard, too. So stressful. Yeah. So stressful. Uh, because I also think they looked great before, and I don't think I even meant great. I just meant really different. Different. Yeah. Really and thinner. Yeah. And thin and thinner and thinner. Ugh. Um, and so I just I had to unpack all of that afterwards because just talking about bodies is hard and it's complicated and we talked about this last time uh i think about it so much more now in all of my own writing after after we talked you'll see too with sicilian inheritance i took out just a couple body signifiers that were in there um about how my main character sarah's body looked and there were body signifiers that i had used for it for a long time that i just didn't want to use anymore um little the tiny things i don't know if anyone's gonna notice but like i know that it's in yeah. there uh i'm calling her body strong now um just a lot of different things so if i want anyone and if i want people to take anything away from this episode is that all of this is complicated and hard and diet stuff is hard and food stuff is hard and difficult to talk about but you do such a good job of just laying stuff out there and i think making people think in a different way than We used to think about diet culture and talking about the word fat and talking about bodies. And so, like I said, I could talk to you forever about these kinds of things.
1: Well, I so appreciate that. And I think we're all allowed to get it right. I mean, it's not really our fault we're getting it wrong. It's this whole system we're swimming in that's taught us, you know, one way of thinking about bodies and food. And we're doing, we're all doing a lot of unlearning in real time. And so that's going to, Create these moments of dissonance. I think my concern with the kid food influencers is that often I don't see that willingness to acknowledge I've got it wrong or to acknowledge I need to pivot here. I need to say this differently. I'm learning and changing. Instead, I see folks branding themselves as experts, which does not feel different enough from what diet culture has done to us for decades of telling us like other people are the expert on your body, other people are the expert on your parenting or your kid and you're not that's you know that's what i really think we need to push back against um we're all going to fuck it up for sure and need to be open to being called in on that and listening and learning that's that's just being human
0: yeah no uh, uh, absolutely and i the the last thing that i really want to talk about is the idea of what is an expert and who is an expert and i think that that is very wishy-washy on social media that someone can claim to be a kids nutrition expert and what mm-hmm. does that mean what certification do they have what education do they have and that's we, we talk about that all the time with who was an expert online and that's why i think it can be really dangerous to take someone's word as gospel when we don't necessarily know did they do complete an online class that gave them a certification?
1: Yep. Yep. Is it some online course they did? I mean, it's so tricky with food, too, because, you know, the sort of quote unquote gold standard experts would be registered dietitians. But the field of dietetics is so intertwined with diet culture and anti-fat bias. And it's a very thin white field. I mean, in terms of who becomes a dietitian, there's some really interesting work happening. jessica jones is someone i follow who talks a lot about the importance of diversifying dietetics she's a black woman trying to get more people of color into the field because it is just not there and so a lot of the diet information we get from dietitians you know is very shaming of people's cultural foods is very shaming and very filtered through this one upper middle class white perspective so there's the like are they a real expert quote unquote and then it's like what kind of expert are they because if it's a traditionally trained registered dietitian, that's going to come with a whole bunch of embedded bias that they may or may not have started to identify and unlearn. So yeah, it's really tricky. And then even, you know, there's also a lot of RDs or other folks labeling themselves as nutritionists online who don't have a clinical practice or haven't had one in a really long time and who aren't regularly feeding kids the same age as your kids. And so their advice is going to be a little out of touch perhaps with what you're actually dealing with. So there's just so much there. I mean, in terms of filtering, you know, and then there's also the valid criticism of someone not being a dietitian. Amy, for example, is not a dietitian. I am not a dietitian. So you could say, like, well, how are you guys even qualified to talk about this at all? First of all, I don't tell anyone how to feed their kids. I want to be real clear on <laughs> I don't give diet, you know, dietetics advice. I critique this as a cultural construct. But um but I think looking for folks who are asking more questions than they're answering, who are talking very realistically about the hurdles in front of parents who are making the labor visible, who are making the problems visible, I think for me feels like a more reliable source of information than someone who has Really pretty graphics and really clever reel.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And I just, I think, I think a mom is an expert on almost everything in the world. To be yeah.
1: honest,
0: um, yeah. you're like what makes you? I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm an expert on nothing, but also everything.
1: <laughs> I'm at least surviving a lot of right. shit, so I've got a lot to say.
0: Totally right,
1: yeah. but yeah, I think
0: again, like if, if we can take one message away from any of this, it's just. Parse what it means to be an expert, and think about what content. And this is my overarching thing for social media: think about what content makes you feel good, and not and not like a shitty mom, and is additive and helpful to your crazy life. And use that, and do and do not do not follow the other people because it is your choice, and you have and you have agency,
1: Mm -hmm, my friends. Free to unfollow, absolutely free to unfollow. Um. We are doing
0: something similar at the end of these episodes, which is uh, you inspired me with your butter. <laughs> oh, what, anyway. what, what, what are you happy to be influenced
1: by right now? Ooh, that is a good question. Okay, I am really happy to be influenced by really great women writers on divorce, because as you and I were talking about off mic, I am going through a divorce right now. It is mostly a very good thing for my life, but obviously. Also, a hard time in a lot of ways, and there have been so many women who have been kind of like, I mean, we're in this summer of divorce are now it's fall, but you know, we've been in this like sort of cultural moment of divorce, getting a new uh framing, I think, and I'm just so grateful to folks who have been telling their stories in positive ways. so Joanna Garter, that Joanna Goddard over on Cup of Joe, you know, was one of the first people. To write about her divorce in a way that I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I want that. What she's doing. Um, Liz Lenz does just like amazing work talking about the institution of marriage and how it holds women prisoners, Maggie Smith's new memoir. There's like a lot of great feminist divorce writing happening right now, and I am here for it and being influenced by all of it. You're right. In fact,
0: I when I was reading your your newsletter. Today, where you you broke the news to your subscribers. You yes, came out. <laughs> your, you came out, came out as a woman going through a divorce. Uh I was thinking about how much great content there is because I've been following Joanna Goddard's divorce journey. Mm-hmm. And uh I also have been following Liz for a long time and and Maggie's writing. And I think I want to do a whole episode on divorce influencing.
1: Yes. Yes, right? Please.
0: Uh, because I, would. oh my gosh, I have so many episodes. Like, I think we're going to do more than one a week at this point, <laughs> because there's just so much to get into. I have divorce influencing, menopause influencing is mm-hmm. another one that mm-hmm. I don't know why I tied divorce and menopause. And it's just, I think about you... women in the prime of their life, like yep. in their late thirties, yep. forties and how we're just like all going for it. Yeah. Because I think for the first time, there's a real cultural moment where women Are sharing the good stories of divorce Mm -hmm. instead of the doom, doom and gloom and woe is me because divorce is freedom for a lot of us. Yeah, and truly, yeah. And I'm so, I'm so excited for this next stage of your life. Oh, thank you, thank you. And that's it. That's all we've got today, friends. I love everything that Virginia said and I have so much to chew on about kid food influencers and who and what we should be listening to while we're feeding our kids. Should we be listening to anyone? Or should we just keep winging it? I'm just going to keep winging it, friends. Buy Virginia's book, subscribe to her Substack and her podcast Burnt Toast, and I will talk to all of you very, very soon.